Hi, my name is Laura, and welcome to the Let's Chat Healthcare Podcast. In this episode, I'm speaking with Christine, and Christine is a maternity nurse, which means that she helps patients and their babies after they've given birth. She gives us some really great tips, and I'm excited for you guys to hear the episode, so let's just get right into it. Don't forget to find us on social media at Let's Chat Healthcare and subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. Thanks for listening, and here's Christine, a maternity nurse. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi. Can you kind of give me an idea of what type of floor you work on and your role on that floor? Yes. So right now I'm currently working in maternity, also known as postpartum. So it's basically the nurses who take care of the mom and the baby after delivery. I'm a staff nurse, but I do have other roles. Awesome. Okay. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a day in the life of a maternity nurse. So go into whatever <laughs> detail you want to. But yeah, can you kind of give me a day in your life? Sure. Basically, when we come in, we clock in and it starts off with us giving what's called an SBAR report. I find out who the night shift nurse was who was taking care of the patient that I'm going to take care of. And then after we do the introduction in the report, what I would need to do is go open up my patient's charts on the computer. I would check my orders to figure out what's the plan of care for the day for my patients. After that, I would have to do my initial assessment, which is where I check the mom Mm -hmm. head to toe. Now, going on with babies, we do do a head to toe as well, just to make sure we know how the baby looks. And if there's any changes, we'll know the difference from before and after. If the baby has a dirty diaper when we do our assessment, normally I would help that moment since I'm already checking the baby. I would help the parents out by changing the diaper. If it's the first diaper change, I would have mom and dad or whoever the support person is be involved. Mm. Tell them exactly what I'm doing as I'm doing it, like wetting the wipes with warm water and then how they clean, how they put the diaper on. That way they're kind of watching it. And then for the next time that the baby has a dirty diaper, I would want them to practice Mm. hands-on while I'm there with them. So in case they need assistance, they're not scared to like mess up in their words. Oh, another thing that's different. If we do have a mom who had a C-section, we would check out their incision site. Oh, okay. We just want to make sure that that's intact. Also checking for edema. So if some of these moms do get swollen in the extremities, usually it's on their legs. Well, not on their legs, mostly on their feet. Since they've been getting a lot of IV fluids in the beginning, And they've been resting for a while, especially these C-section moms. They're supposed to be in bed rest for like 12 hours Mm. um, after the surgery. They can sometimes pull liquid in their feet. So what we tell them to do is like elevate their feet on top of pillows and just start walking around too. Okay. Um, So the C-section moms are a little bit more, they have a lot more going on with them Mm -hmm. compared to the vaginal delivery moms. And of course, you've probably heard like nurses are always trying to chart, finish their charting. You have a separate chart for the baby and a separate chart for the mom, right? We do. So it's basically if you have a total of four couplet cares, you're doing eight chartings like like for eight. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> it is. So it's it's different. That's why like, so I hope people don't think that the charting is only like one solid charting. It's actually two different patients per room. And do you usually have four patients? For the most part, you end up getting four patients because you admit a new um, couplet. 
um, mom and baby. There are times I do want to put out there is that it's not always both mom and baby coming up. There's times where the baby, if at delivery, the baby needs to be transferred Mm. from labor and delivery to a higher level of care. It would be called the NICU, which is like NICU. Then you would just have the mom coming up without the baby. Things could be what's called a chorioamnionitis. That's some moms that might have like a fever during their delivery. So what they would do is they have the baby go to the NICU for like observation to make sure there's no signs of like an infection on the baby. And then we would just take care of the moms. If a mom was a C-section and she did have that fever and they label it as chorio um, amnionitis, then that mom usually gets antibiotics um, via IV for, I want to say, at least 24 hours after delivery. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So the difference for these moms that are separated from their babies, what we do for them like to support them is that we give them a electric breast pump. We initiate that like as soon as possible and... We're baby friendly at our hospital. So we do everything we can to provide um, support for breastfeeding for these moms. So one thing is that the electric breast pump, we set it up, we teach them how to use it. It should be started within the first six hours um, after delivery. And um, certain things that moms can do to prepare is massage their breasts. What's called hand express, like take some of that colostrum out first to see it coming out. Mm. Colostrum is basically the milk that mom has been making during pregnancy. So it's going to look thick. It's going to look like honey, like the thickness of it, because it's been sitting there during the pregnancy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's not liquid milk coming out yet. <laughs> that, that some people might expect. Can you feed that to your baby or do you only feed them the fresher milk? Good question. So colostrum is actually the best thing to give to the babies. It's called like the golden milk, the gold milk, because it's so special. Since it's been created during pregnancy, it has all the immunity for the baby, antibodies. That way that mom can give that to baby safely. Hmm. When they go to their prenatal care, they're encouraged to get the Tdap vaccine because of the pertussis part. We don't want babies catching the whooping cough because it's very bad for them. And also, if it's flu season, they ask them to get the flu shot so that those immunities will go into the breast milk. And that's how the babies get it. Mm, And that's why they encourage you to take the flu shot while you're pregnant, right? Because then you could pass that to your baby. Exactly. Yes. Like we would still offer it after they deliver because it's just, you know, it's good to protect yourself. That way you don't get sick and give anything to your baby. But the best time would be during pregnancy. Mm. Or uh, I think... Some moms might be nervous about getting the vaccine while they're pregnant, but to know that it will actually help their baby, that that's a good thing to keep in mind. True. Exactly. Yeah. And um, going back to these NICU moms, they are allowed to, to visit their baby depending on the, according to the policy from the NICU, it depends, like, let's say going back to that example of the mom that has chorioamnionitis. So their policy would be that the mom should be afebrile, which means you she shouldn't have a fever for at least 24 hours from that fever that she had. Mm. After that 24-hour mark, like let's say it's 8 a.m. that she got the fever. So it would be the next day at 8 a.m. After that, she's allowed to visit her baby. So is there anything they can do to prevent this fever? Yeah, so that one wouldn't be something that I would know more details about. 
um, since I'm more of like, yeah, the postpartum care. But that's a really good question to ask a, a labor and delivery nurse for sure. But they are allowed to visit their babies. Like I hope people don't think that they're not allowed to at all, mm. you know, since they're on a different like floor unit. Mm. Um, so dad is allowed to go. Let's say mom pumps out some milk. We need someone to bring the milk. Of course, we would love the us nurses to bring it but we are taking care of other patients as well mm-hmm. so timing of it sometimes it where we can't we just simply can't like go run down to the NICU and drop it off for them so it's it's great that the the father of the baby can go and also do some bonding with the baby as well I don't know if you have any questions about that or if that pretty pretty much paints a picture no I think you painted a good picture but I was wondering if you could go through what it's like to admit a patient and what's involved in that process? Yes. So when um, the mom comes from labor and delivery, so they transfer them over to our maternity floor. We introduce ourselves, of course, and we check them kind of often in the beginning because they're new to our floor. Mm -hmm. So we would be checking their vital signs, you know, blood pressure, temperature, heart rate, respiratory rate. Um, They are coming on IV fluids. They come pretty quick for the vaginal delivery Mm -hmm. moms. They come to us after an hour of delivery. And the C-section moms come to us two hours after delivery. So it's, it's kind of quick. For these moms, some of them will have the epidurals, right? An epidural where they can't feel waist down. It depends on the mom, really. Sometimes they get their feelings back on their legs and some of them halfway there. Some of them one leg they can feel, but the other leg's still sleepy. <laughs> um, so this is a risk for falls when they need to go to the bathroom. What we would do is when they need to pee, we have to assess them, like see where their legs are at and they don't want to use that bedpan to pee in the bed because no one feels comfortable peeing in the bed. Like it's just understandable. Like they'll feel more comfortable in the bathroom where you where you usually pee at. And what types of things would you look for where you would still want them to use the bedpan where you wouldn't feel comfortable? It would be if they really can't feel their legs. So if they can't feel any part of their legs, it's totally sleepy, but yet they have that sensation to pee, then that's like the perfect time to use a bedpan. Also, checking to see if they feel dizzy oh yeah even just being in the bed because if they get up they are at risk for even fainting (laughs) while in the bathroom Mm -hmm. there that's like a big risk for these moms too when we take them to the bathroom is we we get scared that they'll faint we never leave them alone especially for the first two times of pee in the bathroom we always have to be in the bathroom with them Mm. for admitting a c-section mom we do put like around their incision site it's called an abdominal binder so it's supporting their incision site Mm. you know if you get hurt or your stomach hurts and you kind of like hug your stomach like that type of position Mm -hmm. that's like what it's supposed to do is that it's supporting your incision so that it doesn't feel so loose Mm. um that way move around it won't hurt as much Mm. and checking their bleeding that's right so no matter what c-section moms vaginal delivery moms you're bleeding like down in the vaginal area Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you're getting your monthly again basically that's what i would tell them and we just want to make sure it's a normal amount of bleeding and for these admissions it's still a risk you know because they just you know they had the baby we want to make sure that they're not what's called hemorrhaging where they're bleeding a lot where it's not like a normal amount. Times like those is when we really do, we start massaging. We feel for the fundus, that top of the uterus, and we massage it to make sure it's firm. Yeah, so that's like hemorrhaging. I was wondering if you had any recommendations for patients as they go through the admission process, something that you wish they knew that could make that whole process go a little bit smoother? Yeah, so I kind of wish they would, more so breastfeeding, I feel like. 
I think that's more of something I would like them to even just watch YouTube videos if they want because that breastfeeding part, I feel like a lot of moms are new to it or they're trying again with like their second child because the first time it wasn't so successful is that when they read something and they they kind of have like a little preview of what will be taught to them again in the maternity floor about breastfeeding. And then maybe, I don't know about the bleeding, maybe some of them already know that that will happen because they'll hear it from their friends like, oh yeah, you do bleed after and then kind of like your period again, just so they don't freak out about seeing blood. Oh, okay. So just be like a little bit more aware of things that are going to happen. and Right, right. And like with that being said, is that we'll teach them a lot about breastfeeding. And I know all these moms are trying their absolute best because they do hear that breastfeeding is best. They just don't know what encompasses it, what what goes behind to like breastfeeding because it's a lot of work, mm-hmm. um, a lot of patience, um, and it takes time. And I think in their heads, they think it's such like a natural thing that a mom should be able to breastfeed her baby, that if there are any bumps, issues that come along the way, that it takes more effort to breastfeed the baby, that they blame themselves. And that's something that we don't want the moms to do because it's not their fault it's all part of the process it's a learning process you know this is a new baby it's new to the baby it's new to mom and that they're both learning together they're both learning about each other so that is one thing that that would be great for moms is that mentally when they do read about something ahead of time or see videos they're a little bit more prepared and they won't blame themselves so much Mm. so just be more knowledgeable that it's going to take time there's going to be mistakes and it's not as easy as it looks (laughs) exactly you see all these people posting like on social media like oh breastfeeding is the best i hope you guys are breastfeeding and all that and you know and then if it comes to the point where they're just like wow it's not like easy peasy you know when I shadowed on the postpartum floor, I found out that it really depends on the mom too. Sometimes it comes really easy for the mom and sometimes it comes harder. And a lot of it has to do with your body, like something you can't control. Exactly. Not all moms are the same. So they shouldn't compare themselves either to their friends, sisters, their own mom. But yeah, that is something that would be great. And it's all part of baby friendly recommendations too and guidelines. Uh, to help them out when they do mm-hmm. when they do finally have that baby. They have a, about nine months to prepare, hopefully. Exactly. <laughs> nine months to prepare and nine months they haven't had their period too. So I understand why seeing the blood is like shocking to them. Mm. There are things that we do monitor on the babies as well. What we use is this little device. It's the transcutaneous bilirubin is what we're checking. Newborns um, have a risk of getting jaundice. Mm. Um, Jaundice is basically that yellowing of the skin. These babies, I know this is getting too technical, I guess, with the words, but basically we don't want a lot of bilirubin running in these babies' bloodstreams because if there's too much, um, it's toxic to the baby's brain. So what we do is we, it's this little device that shines a light on the baby's forehead and then it'll give us a number. So from that number, we use what's called a Billy tool That's and it lets us know if if it is actually a high risk where it's it's on the high side, then we would actually get some blood work from the baby to see what is actually the number. Because, you know, a light thing, non-invasive, accurate, but sometimes it's not that accurate. So you have to actually get blood, you know, to find out. Mm-hmm. So let's say that the baby does have a high number. The Billy tool says that you need to start what's called phototherapy. 
And phototherapy is, if you've ever seen um, it in the movies or whatever online, it's like a purple light that shines on top of the baby's UV lights, basically. And it's safe because it's like controlled. Mm. The more the baby's under that light, the better for the baby. It's getting that treatment, decreasing that that bilirubin. It helps uh, get rid of it too. And then we go from there to see if it's the numbers lowering. And if it is, and then, then the pediatrician will stop the phototherapy. What also is what we teach our patients at discharge, especially is that natural sunlight that's shining through the window is good for these babies to help decrease the risk of jaundice as well. So indirect light. So you want to have like a barrier in between the sun? It's safer, I believe, because you don't know how harsh that sun is or if it's like too hot. So that's why we would say indirect sunlight. It's like a weaker, but it's still sunlight (laughs) shining through the window. That's what we teach all the parents um, at discharge so that they don't have any issues at home. Of course, if the baby starts to look yellow at home, then we would tell them to let their pediatricians know. And then they would just go from there. They also get a hearing test done while they're there at the hospital. And if these babies don't pass a hearing test, they would just get an appointment to come back. I think they come back after four weeks. The hearing tech would give give them an appointment. Uh, What else gets done is the birth certificate. We do what's called, and this is something that I don't think a lot of people know about, especially if they're going to have their first baby, is it's called a a California newborn screening. And it does require us to get some blood. And then the blood isn't even collected on a tube. It's actually special paper that has circles on it. And you fill in the circles with the blood. It like absorbs it. This gets sent out. And then if there's any, it screens for like genetic diseases, basically. I guess I think it's been done ever since the 50s, I believe. So it's been around for a while. And then, and if they find anything, they'll call the parents up and let them know. If they don't find anything, then they don't hear back from them at all. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, that one's something new that I feel like I didn't even know until I started working maternity with the breastfeeding. I know I talk a lot about it, but it really is like kind of an important part of the mom and baby is that they don't recommend the use of pacifiers for at least the first month of life. Oh, I didn't know that. They don't recommend it. Yes. Reason why it does interfere with breastfeeding because, okay, so we'll we'll rewind. How do you know that a baby is hungry? Most parents will say the baby cries. And then that's not true because babies start to show early hunger cues um, when they are starting to get hungry. So these early hunger cues are basically if they start lip smacking, you might see them move their hands to their mouth. You might see them move their face, opening their mouth, looking for the breast, basically. Mm. So that would be what's called the perfect time to offer the breast to the baby. Try to feed the baby, basically. For the most part, if babies are totally crying, we've missed those early hunger cues and they're super hungry. So they're so frustrated that they're crying a lot, they can't focus at the breast. Mm. Back to the pacifiers. If they think that the baby just wants to pacify because they're showing those little, you know, hunger cues, they'll put the pacifier on the baby. The baby will suck, suck, suck and go to sleep because... They're thinking I'm getting something and I'm just soothing myself at this point. Then they miss a feeding. That That's the interference of pacifiers is that I think you basically cover up, you mask something. Because I could see someone thinking that those early feeding signs are just the baby wanting the pacifier. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe maybe my baby just wants to suck on something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a recommendation. Um, it, you know, obviously everybody does, you know, what they want to do as parents, right? Because that's their child. Mm-hmm. They also don't recommend walkers. Mm. 
this is going away from like nursing for maternity, but it's it's a part of the American pediatric that they don't recommend it because it does interfere with how they learn how to walk. They learn how to tippy toe instead of walk on their heel first, like heel toe. I have relatives who are occupational therapists and they really say big no to the walkers. The kids learn how to walk, yes, but I don't know how it like interferes or has something to do with their walking, like how, how they learn how to walk. That's good to know. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. These babies too, like I think a lot of people might think that like babies are okay to sleep on their side than the newborns, but they should always, always be on their back no matter what. Mm-hmm. And this is a recommendation from the Academy of Pediatrics is that if they're laying on their side and everybody's asleep, if all of a sudden this baby moves and goes flat on its face and he can't even lift up, you know, his or her neck, the baby can suffocate while everyone's asleep. Mm. So that's a really important good you know, thing to know is that they need to be sleeping on their back. So I remember from nursing school that you have to have them sleep on their backs until they're strong enough to lift their heads, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know the parents, the reason why they put them on their side is because they're afraid some of these babies do spit up. You know, some of them still have amniotic fluid inside them and they're trying to throw it up. They don't want their baby to choke on it. What they're thinking is right. Like they, you know, putting to the baby to the side so that it kind of leaks out on the side of the mouth. What I do tell them that if they really want, they can just turn their baby's head to the side. Mm. Okay, so lay them on their back and have their head to the side and that prevents them from... Would it be okay for them to just lay on their back with their head up? Is there any risk for them choking on that fluid? Usually it's only in the beginning. That's so I feel like the parents would just be watching their babies more. And this is going to sound weird, but what I've noticed is normally when I do walk in and this the babies are spitting up, it's like they do it when I'm there. Okay. That first huge spit up where it seems like they're almost choking. And then I'm there to kind of like help and teach the mom and dad to use that what's called the bulb syringe. It's that, you know, bulb looking thing, that plastic thing. Those green ones that they give out in hospitals apparently are really the best quality. You can't even find it in the stores. So note to these parents that are new, like, make sure you don't lose that one. (laughs) (laughs) They would use that syringe to help take out the fluid that's coming out, whatever they're spitting up. And I think something I've seen with the newborns that I've seen in the emergency room is sometimes the caretaker can be scared to like use that syringe, like they don't want to hurt the baby. But I think it's important. It's important to get that fluid out. So don't be scared to like actually like use it and fully use it and not just like, oh, put it in just a tiny little bit, which I understand not wanting to hurt them. But I think it's important to get that fluid out. Right. It's important to Basically save the baby in case the baby really is choking on a lot of fluid. It's for the nose too. I think some parents might think that you have a, you have to have a separate bulb syringe for the nose and the mouth. It, it doesn't matter. And the nose and the mouth isn't technically clean. <laughs> so, oh, what does happen at admission too? Back then, I want to say maybe like five years ago and beyond that is that we would bathe the babies at admission. So like when you get admitted to our maternity floor, we would bathe that baby within that shift that we receive the patient. And we bathe the baby like under, we have these really cool like heaters in every room. What's cool is that there is evidence, evidence-based practice, like um, articles that said that these babies, if you delay their bath at least 12 to 24 hours after life, they actually do a lot better. Mm. They recover from like that stress, you know, when they're getting all wet and they're crying. They recover quick their temperature goes back to that like warm normal body temperature that they should have versus when you give them a bath right away Mm. so blood sugars stay stable um yeah there's no risk of them staying cold after the bath 
as well, like wiping up their face. Maybe there's like milk there or they spit up. They can do that. But the full on bath is what we it's it was a big change for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good to know. So can you talk about your biggest pieces of advice upon discharge? I know you've given a lot of advice already and all of it is amazing. But do you have anything that you really want to like point out when you are about to let them go home? Yes. So for discharge, you know, I think in the nursing world, discharge uh, teaching is actually taught once you get admitted. It starts at admission. So everything we've been talking about, what we've been showing the parents, it's all going to come back at the discharge instructions. Mm -hmm. It's all there. But instead, it's like all printed out for them. So when we're getting them ready for discharge, we make sure that the baby's hearing test is done, that jaundice check is done one more time. We make sure the most important thing is that the parents have a car seat because it's the law you need to have a car seat for your baby what's nice about the hospital that I work at is that we offer gifts to these patients and let's say a parent maybe this baby came sooner than they thought and they didn't have a baby shower yet then they don't have a car seat so they need one their gift from us is the car seat oh wow that's awesome Let's say they have a car seat. So we offer them a stroller or a big bag of diapers. (laughs) Yeah, so it's kind of nice because normally hospitals don't offer a gift when you're getting discharged. Mm -hmm. And then we find out whatever clinic that they went to for their prenatal care. Uh, We want them to go back to that clinic. Um, for their postpartum checkup. What's one more thing for at discharge? We want to make sure that these babies get done. It's called the um, congenital heart defect screening, which basically checks the baby's um, oxygen level, like the pulse ox level. Usually we have a respiratory therapist that comes and helps us out with that. But if we do it ourselves, it's basically we're checking that oxygen percent. I don't know what else to say about discharge. Discharge is pretty quick too, hopefully for the the parents. Um, It's something that's like they're like, oh, yay, we finally get to go home type of thing. I think it's important to write things down as you're getting discharged because you're in such a hurry to leave and be home. I think it's important to write everything down that the nurse says just so you remember it because you might not be focusing right on that in the moment yes like kind of key things that they just want to remind themselves because we give them a pretty thick hack for their discharge paperwork kind of like a book at this point for the babies especially because you add extra education that you feel it would be helpful for the parents to refer back to whenever they want to so don't throw those papers away those papers are so important They really are, yeah, especially for these first-time parents as well. They really are thankful for that. Mm. Um, And for the moms too, uh, when they pump at home, when they start pumping their milk, we always add the breast milk storage times and how long they're good for and uh, the safe way to warm up the milk too. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could kind of talk to those moms who are pregnant now and who are about to give birth if you could if you have any pieces of advice for them anything they can do to prepare or make the process go smoother. I don't know I know that's kind of a big question but. (laughs) Well number one thing that I already addressed is um, breastfeeding. If you're informed you kind of educate yourself kind of have that like pre little exposure to breast feeding it'll help you out it'll help put your mind at ease that way when we start talking to you about it again that it's not so shocking that it's just kind of like a reinforcement just kind of like re-education at that point know that things aren't perfect I know we moms will picture like a perfect delivery and all that and the after the postpartum care just know that whatever happens you'll be okay that's like the thing that I want them mentally prepared for and that you're gonna have a lack of sleep So be prepared for that too. It's not 
something where the baby's gonna sleep whenever you're asleep. For the most part, I've noticed that a majority of them play at night. They like to be awake at night. <laughs> totally opposite from us unless you're a night person. But yeah, those those little things. And if the hospital's allowing you to have a support person, take one, whether it be your mom or your sister or a cousin, whoever it is that's going to be available for you for this day. It's helpful. It really is. Um, You won't feel so alone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you can see what might happen, you know, for delivery or after delivery or if you want to research like epidurals, if you want it or not, can. But I feel like the more things that, that's in control is mostly for the breastfeeding. And if you want to read any baby little baby books about like changing the diaper, how to be the baby, that's okay too. Why not? Mm-hmm. When the baby is actually out, it's a different thing because it's hands on at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Once the baby is out. Yeah. So I feel like those are the things that for sure will help out the parents. And um, I feel like maybe relieving stress in some of those areas that you're talking about will help with feeling stressed about COVID or feeling stressed about being in the hospital in general during this time. Just having some peace throughout these other processes might help you handle what else is going on. Right, exactly. Like focusing more about you and the baby, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, When you do that, it kind of gives more of like, it's a positive light. And it's such a happy time. Like that's one thing that I love about maternity is that you see that bond, you see that smile, you see the mom and dad or whoever is just like every little thing that the baby does, they love it. (laughs) So yeah, think positive about it. Whatever is happening out there, like you're gonna have a a baby and it's gonna be an experience that you'll remember regardless if there's bumps or whatever happens um, in postpartum. In the end, it's like you get to take home something beautiful. Mm. Quarantine with that baby. (laughs) (laughs) That's the beauty of it. So my favorite thing is helping the moms through this process of whole after delivery and the nurses there kind of like on by their side through everything. I don't know, like holding the babies. I love holding these little babies and then handing them back to the parents, helping (laughs) them swaddle the baby so that they look like little burritos. It's like I feel like the little things that shows that I care about your recovery I care about educating you guys if you have any questions. Care about that we're doing the absolute best we can during their stay in the hospital. I think that's something maybe important for patients to keep in mind. You guys are always doing your best. And even though you might not be in the room right away, especially nowadays, like you're doing your best. And I think it's really important for that to be communicated, even though sometimes it might not feel like you're always right there as soon as they need. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And the fact that we do take care of more than one like unfortunately like I wish that it would be like our ratio you do hear nurses talk about ratios all the time but if the ratio was like the perfect ratio then we would be able to spend a lot of time and it wouldn't seem like we would be jumping patient to patient like we try hard we try our best not to show it too like Mm -hmm. I try to show that I have all the time in the world when I'm in one patient room (laughs) and then when I go but deep down like in my mind I'm like dude I have all these things that like I need to make sure that you know is done for my patient patients for all of them and you have double of them because you have the baby and the mama thank you so much for being willing to share all of that with us and I really really appreciate you being willing to come on and share your story I mean, I haven't even had a baby yet, but I feel like it's going to help me in the future even. So (laughs) thank you. (laughs) Perfect. Good. That's good to hear. (laughs) That was such a great episode. And Christine was awesome and gave us so many great tips. I'm so thankful that she came on and talked to us. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening. 
And don't forget to find us on socials at Let's Chat Healthcare and subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time on the Let's Chat Healthcare podcast.